What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. And welcome, everyone, to Rock M Radio. Uh, This is a brand new episode of Dive Cuts. We're on season seven uh, here to talk all about your Missouri basketball Tigers. I am back, your host, uh, usual host, uh, not last week, um, Sam Snelling. I'm here. If you're watching on YouTube, I am uh, the guy on the the left side of the screen. Uh, on the right is my good friend Matt, who uh, who stepped in for me last week as I helped celebrate my wife's birthday. Um, Matt, how how did it go last night? How was your how was your podcast host experience? Uh, it was it was very well scripted and also very metaphysical in our outlook on Missouri basketball. Uh, <laughs> It went well. I hope uh, you and your wife had a lovely time uh, in lieu of joining us, I'm sure, eating a nice meal with your the one closest to you, Trump's, discussing this particular season of basketball and brand of basketball that we're watching. But it was good. It was good. Um, uh, now, I just wish it was a little bit warmer. We're about ready to get hit with a sheet of ice overnight here in Indianapolis. So, you know, different well, kinds of stress on- are coming. Yeah, you're on the, the back end of what we just got. Uh, so we are recording this Monday, January 22nd. If you're in the St. Louis area like I am, uh, then you were probably uh, stuck at home for most of the day today. Um, there there was a lot of ice. It was unpleasant. Um, and, and watch this segue. There was a lot of ice at Mizzou Arena uh, on Saturday as the Tigers took on the Florida Gators. Uh, Brick City uh ice cold shooting um missouri just can't seem to catch a break they had tamar Bates go for 36 points just an absolute awesome performance from tamar Bates, and virtually nothing from anybody else it was one of the more unfortunate like like great performance timing, I guess uh, is kind of the, the word that i'm looking for like the timing of his performance everybody else was bad and Missouri lost by double digits. So you know what happened? Tamar, Tamar walked in that locker room and he saw those beautiful, beautiful retro threads hanging in the locker. And he said, I have to do this for my forefathers. I have to I have to go thermonuclear for, for Anthony Peeler, for Melvin Booker, for all those who came before me. I'm When I put this jersey on, it's time to go off. And that he did. He paid his well, respects in the greatest way possible. Well, and I was going to say, like, while he uh, he never donned the the, uh, the uniform himself, uh, you know, Tamar certainly looked like a a a Kareem Rush clone at times with the the left oh, stroke in that in the pick and in the pick and roll on the left side of the floor. It was scary. Even the little yeah. like kind of leg kick, the little like kind of extra little flip off the wrist on the finishing move at the top of the shot it it looked how he hangs a little bit at the top of that jumper yeah the vibes were very strong very very strong <laughs> yeah it was i mean it was really fun watching him uh so this is coming off i guess uh, a, another uh over week for the tigers um they lost to alabama on tuesday that was a little bit to be expected obviously mm-hmm. with uh with the tide you know they're a top 10 in kempom uh, they score the ball really well. Something that Missouri doesn't necessarily do consistently enough. Um, yeah. The Tide don't—they don't always defend all that well, and I think that's one of the things that Missouri took advantage of, and um, you know, and were able to kind of you know make buckets and kind of stay in the game until what would you say like about five or six minutes left when yeah, um, yeah. when Ryland Griffin kind of went off, uh, and so I think you know kind of coming into the Florida game, I think we were hoping, at least I was. Uh, that they would just kind of have one of those nights. Like this is something that happened like during the Kim Anderson era, during the Collins and Martin, you know, bad seasons, they would just have a couple performances in there when everything just sort of worked for them. And they just, they, yeah. they won uh, for Kim Anderson. It seemed to happen a lot on the rally for Ryan games, uh, you know, so, but it's just like one of those games where like, 
you know, you kind of get a couple of those made threes early. Uh, you know, the, the confidence starts to build, you get, you know, guys like Noah, Nick involved and, uh, and then you get, you know, Sean East able to kind of break guys down and then, you know, the subs come in and they make a few shots that they don't normally. Um, and uh, you know, all the shots were basically just going to tomorrow as far as the, the makes go. And it just, it, you know, they started over five from three. Yeah. They never seemed to, I think at one point they'd kind of made two in a row, but I think it was, it was tomorrow and Nick that hit yeah. those two. Um, honor made one more three it, you know it is nice seeing nick kind of you know get back on track for what i think we're accustomed to with him but yeah. um just no support uh for for tomorrow whatsoever no no um you know we were talking about it before we came on and you know about where guys ceilings are you know when they're vets and you know, how much, you know, sort of headroom is left. And I think early on in the year we were seeing Sean East and what excited people was we were seeing Sean East really, I think come close to getting back to kind of, you know, the top end of his skill curve, you know, based on you know last season on transitioning on his role on maybe tweaking a shot during the season, it just wasn't great for him, but you know, he sort of made up for lost time early on in non-con. And I think a lot of people thought, here's a guy now that's going to, you know, really do something kind of, you know, Matt, you know, transfer, you know, transformation. He's going to really, you know, up his production. He's going to become a guy for Missouri. But, you know, we even saw at the end of non-con that, you know, the scouts started to get out on him, particularly in side ball screens on the empty side of the floor. You know, teams have started hard hedging him. They started icing. They started trapping him in those situations, you know, a lot of what Sean has to do is kind of dominate the ball and probe and that can bottle things up. It can throw off, you know, when you need to cut, it can throw things off schedule a little bit. And, you know, you get into sec play where teams know you and your personnel even better. It gets even harder. And I think we're seeing that now with Sean in the past three games, I think the scout was already out and I think it's, it's really been crystallized now and it's been hard for him to really get some of the spots and actions and situations that really make him you know, sort of potent. Um, Noah had been shooting the ball better. You know, I don't know, you know, he went three of eight on Saturday, you know, maybe another rim making and a three pointer dropping to go five of eight was probably all that was really needed. That would have gotten it to seven, a typical ish day for, you know, Sean probably gets you in the ballpark and, you know, I think as, as we can talk about, there's just not, you know, a lot of reserve offense, you know, down the rotational sort of pecking order here. Um, a nice well, moment. Yeah, that, like that's, that's sort of the thing is like, once you get past. There's four hey, guys well, and they're not all clicking at the same time. It's, right. Like, you know, what, once you get past those four, I mean, who do you have taking shots? I mean, uh, so uh, Tamar took 21, McConnor took five, Carter took eight, Chinese took seven. Vanover took one, uh, Butler took two, Lewis took one, Pierce took three, Carolero took four, Robinson took one. Aiden Shaw did not take a shot. Um, he was one of four from the free throw line. Um, yep. So, but yeah, you're basically, and, and if you're looking at those four, uh, you know, these, these are guys who, you know, coming into the season, obviously I think it's different than, um, where we are now, but, but coming in, I think we thought Tanji was going to be productive. We thought, you know, grill was probably going to take a good amount of shots. Um, you know, but I think there was like some expectation that, you know, Tamar Bates was going to hopefully kind of develop more of what we were seeing from him uh, as far as like his range in, in high school. But the consistency of guys last year of, of, you know, Nick, Sean and Noah, I think we all sort of expected those guys to be there and be consistently, yeah. or, or at least consistently a part of the offense that, you know, whether or not they were consistent uh, is another thing. So that's like, that's what seven guys, uh, yeah. you know, so, or six. Um, so that's like a much 
broader range of guys taking what you're probably looking at about 50, uh, you know, 45 to 55 shots yeah. a night. Um, you know, and, and then if you're, you know, filtering in, a, you know, like, you know, the, the freshmen and all that kind of stuff, it's a much, much different outlook yeah. versus really kind of hoping that Sean, Noah, you know, Nick and tomorrow all, all kind of have a good night at the same, same time. Yeah. It like you can, it's going to sound laughable to some folks now, I think, you know, given where the team is sitting at this point in the season, but like tomorrow's growing into kind of that reliable spot up threat to now where he's playing out of spot ups, you know, they're starting to put him in some newer actions with handoffs and some pick and rolls. He's been really good in late clock. So he's kind of filling that niche for you. Sean's, you know, shown he can flatten out some defenses and pick and rolls and create some gaps for cutters to exploit. You know, Nick has, I think, was helped as, as Tamar's sort of ramped up his, you know, role. It's really allowed Nick to get back to doing what he does really well, which is just sort of initiating and spacing. So I think mm-hmm. that's a big reason why Nick's playing better is he's getting back to more what, you know, sort of suits him and is a more of a comfort zone for him. You know, then Noah would sort of, you know, be a connector at the four. He'd be able to pop and exploit some defenses that sag off of him. Maybe he'd get some mismatches, but you'd start to see how all that kind of mixes together. But like you said, they don't have Caleb Grill as a reliable floor spacer to keep the gaps open. And they don't have John Tanji as a guy who can sort of, you know, bridge that three, four gap, who can act as a floor spacer at the three and an undersized four that can fit into some of what they do in their Princeton and triangle stuff. They just don't kind of have those two pieces, which are necessary to keep the space open and give them operating room and make shots. And then the guys that can sort of do the kind of, you know, connective work for them. And it's really just, you know, forcing them, you know, to play a guy like Jesus Carolero a lot more because, you know, should Zeus be attacking out of a DHO? I'm not sure. Should Zeus be the guy that's, you know, filling behind a driver? I don't know. Um, it, that's Or should he be a guy that's attacking baseline, trying to finish over a Tyree Samuel? I don't know. But the circumstances have forced him to have to do that. And so I, I get why people are frustrated, you know, when they see, you know, Zeus playing that sort of role. But my question is, who else is going to do that for them, you know, some, you know, Trent Pierce is not a connector at the four. He's not able to help you run some of your offense to generate shots. The kinds of sets that were getting them shots at Alabama are getting them shots on Saturday. Trent's not ready for that. So you got, you almost got to play Zeus in some periods just to keep the offense functioning. You know, it's, you know, I would like, you know, some people would complain, you know, about Connor Vanover being out there. Well, Jordan Butler's not quite ready offensively. You know, he, had a nice drive on Saturday, but other than that, he was a non-factor and he's still kind of abused a little bit defensively. They're just, there are, if there were other alternatives on the bench, I'm sure they would be going to them, but they don't have that right now. And, you know, it's, we can, we'll talk about A&M in a little bit and kind of what's waiting there, but you know, this team is what it is at this point. And they're really just having to hope that they can get a night. Like you said, where the four of these guys are able to, play well enough as a collective unit to give themselves a chance to close late. And they just haven't been able to do that. So it's, it is what it is, but I, I, I think the Florida game was probably more frustrating for me than the Alabama game at the end of the day. But, you know, we, we, we can sort of parse that a little bit more if you want. Well, I, I, you know, I, I was kind of frustrated watching it because, you know, you do sort of see, you know, Bates giving this Herculean effort and, and all like, I really feel like there was a long period of time where all Mizzou needed was just to see a few threes go down. And whether that was, you know, I really think they would have benefited from making, you know, just a couple early, um, yeah. you know, because I, I, I really thought if you go back and you watch like the first 10 minutes of the game, like, like, and I, I, I even said this in study hall, like if you just showed somebody filming the game and you just cut out the part where guys were, you know, like the very end of the shot where it went in or not, uh, I guarantee like you would go back and you would think that Missouri would, would you know, be ahead by 10. Like they were outplaying Florida by yeah. a, a fair margin. 
you know, the Gators yeah. withstood uh, the attack because they they made threes and they made some really tough threes. And uh, like this is one of those like really really frustrating things. And I think like Alex Condon was the one who you know hit the one at the buzzer right when it's yeah. just like you're like that that is just a microcosm of kind of like all the things that Missouri had working against them, especially in this game where you're doing everything right. They had maybe their best defensive possession, you know, of, of several games. Uh, like I was just thinking like, man, they're doing like the rotations on point. They're digging out of the post. Like yeah. uh, they, 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 you know, pop the ball loose and it goes right to Condon who, hits a fadeaway three at the top of the key as time expires in the shot clock. And you're just like, uh, you know, and it's just like, I, I felt at that point that, that they were going to lose the game and it was just going to be one of those frustrating affairs. And it turned out to be that. It was the same thing. In the second half, there's one where Trent does a good job sitting down and staying in front of Riley. It's a late clock three Riley Kugel. I think there's eight seconds left in the shot clock. Riley's like right on the edge of the oval tiger head and pulls splash like yeah. it's a contested step back three from 28 feet and it drops like you take those two makes off the board it's a six point ball game you know and i thought defensively you know they, they had a really good scout i thought they did a really really great job of not just having a game plan but even in-game adjustments were really really good and guys were mostly executing the in-game adjustments and you know, there's a certain point, you know, where, you know, I think Florida has two or three guarded threes that are tough, tough makes and they drop in Missouri has, I think three or four open unguarded threes. Open. Yeah. Unguarded. That flank. And, you know, it's, I always, from, you know, from it, guys it, who like realistically, like should be making threes, like, you know, like Noah Carter had one or two really, like, yeah. really good three point looks. Tamar Bates is, been a great shooter all like corners. i mean he, he was awesome corners. he was one of four from from deep yeah. there was a corner three that rattled out for him first possession of the game rattled in and out it and so I, I think that's been the hardest thing here is like to critique you know you and i always i think try and be measured in our criticism of defense because missouri scout was really good like if you're going to ask me what the best way to beat Florida is, it's to take their backcourt out of the game. And you ran through the shooting stats before we came on air. They mostly limited the guards. Florida was average-ish inside the arc. It like Well, yes. So let's, let's, I mean, I'll, I'll rattle them off now. So uh, since we did talk about that off air. So uh, Pullen was uh, two of six, 11 points. Uh, Clayton, four of 11. Uh, he had 15 points. Uh Richard was four of 11 Great. for 13 points. And Kugel was three of eight for eight points. The job is to stop them is to stop Clayton and pulling from breaking you down in ball screens and then playing out of it. Missouri trapped them and they forced Tyree Samuel, and Micah Hanlickton to roll and make catches at the top of the key and play out of it. That that's a, that is a bet you're willing to take. And early on, it really, really stunted Florida. It bothered them. They put Condon in. They had to start inserting some guys to counter that. Missouri then dropped out of it and began, you know, playing some different pick and roll coverages. When Florida started figuring out how to attack, you know, those tweaks in coverage, Missouri went zone. When Florida started figuring out how to screen the zone, Missouri began token pressing into the zone to make Florida have to speed up and take quicker shots. Like, the scout was good. The execution early on was good. The in-game adjustments to counter what Florida were doing was good. Florida hit three or four guarded threes in their tough makes. Missouri didn't hit open threes. Like that—that's—that's that's your ball game. Like if you're going to ask me, do I want Tyree Samuel, Mike Hamilton to be the one that have to beat me? Yes. Yes. You know, Florida won the glass, but we expected him to win the glass, and they made enough shots. It's just like there's. At the end of the day, sometimes it's not incompetence. It's just execution. At some point, you have to put it on the players to go out and, you know, execute and do what they have to do. And that didn't and, happen. And their, and their bigs were 7 of 14 from the free throw line. So Samuel was 7 of 12. Hamilton was 0 for 2. 
a typical day for Noah Carr and a typical day for Sean East, as this is a one possession game in the in the home stretch. And, yeah, and I I had the numbers in study hall. Um, like the guards did shoot the ball reasonably well from outside. So as a team, Florida was nine of twenty two from three. Uh, they they shot forty seven percent from inside the arc and like so the, it, 16 two point makes uh 10 of those were from Samuel and Hamilton and one of them was Condon Kugel was yeah. one of five Richard was two of four Clayton was one of five Pullen was one of two like that's that's where that's where your defense actually like matters is inside matters is is inside the arc and I realize, yeah, sometimes guys get open shots and they make them. That's usually bad defense. But, <laughs> yeah, it's it's frustrating because it's just like, I you know, you want them to get off the, you know, off this, this uh, losing streak. You want them to win. You want them to, like, start feeling better about this season. It's It's been a really long slog uh, since Caleb Grill went down. And... And here is a game where they did everything they were supposed to do. Florida just made threes and Mizzou didn't. Like Missouri did a better job defending Florida inside the arc than Kentucky, Baylor, and Virginia. Didn't make shots. Didn't make shots. And Alabama did not have that problem. Alabama made everything it put up. Uh, I don't know how much you want to talk about the Bama game. Nah, we that, don't have to talk about the Bama game. I mean, that. I'll just say sliding door moment is Zeus missing a dunk off a turnover at 9-12. You can make a pretty compelling argument that if Zeus flushes that, it's a tie ball game about a minute later, and I think that changes some stuff from there. There were some defensive breakdowns, but I, I, there was a moment, I think, at 9-12 where you could have really started to apply some game pressure, gotten your guys some confidence. Doesn't happen. Florida, Bama comes down. It becomes a four-point swing. There's a media timeout, and Bama just goes, just goes off. Just as Watkins, you know, I think Matt Watkins, our colleague, you know, very well documented last week. Missouri's had problems inside the last eight to ten minutes of ball games at closing. Kind of the same thing happened against Florida, you know, maybe they'll, maybe they'll, maybe there's a week where they find a little bit of a reprieve in the last 10 minutes of a basketball game where they've actually played pretty well. Like the, I looked at it today. If you look at the garbage time math, the typical outcome for Missouri in the last eight games has been trailing by seven with two thirty-five left. That's when garbage time, like that's, like people say, this team's as bad as Zoe's result and everything else. I was looking at the garbage time in Zoe. Garbage time was starting well before the two-minute mark during Zoe's final season. Quite a bit. This team is gritting its teeth. They're trying to fight. They're trying to manufacture ways to stay in games. And they just don't have the pieces behind these four guys to get it done. Now, maybe that changes this week. But, you know, if you're really watching, you're really paying attention, you can see... They're fighting. They're giving. They're trying to give themselves chances, and they just don't have either the necessary energy left because they're to play guys a lot, or they just don't have the well of talent to really make a push and get over the hump late. It's the exact opposite of what we saw last year. So uh, yeah, uh, tomorrow night again. This is Monday. We're recording this. So tomorrow they're they're at Texas A and M. Um. For a team that doesn't rebound the ball very well, uh, this is terrifying. This might make for a long night, and and like realistically, like even Mizzou last year, who obviously much better version of uh, the Missouri Tigers, couldn't beat Texas A and M, and uh, and the Aggies are largely the same team as they were. Uh, like you know, we were kind of talking you know before the air, and, and we can kind of revisit, but. Um, you know, when you, when you return everybody um, and A&M returned everybody except for Dexter Dennis, who was one of their starters. And Julius Marble. Um, 
Oh yeah, no, Marvel also. Uh, he was supposed to come back, but he's dealing with some university issue. Like there's some there. It's been very vague. Um, but uh, regardless, um, from a st- statistical standpoint, A and M is very very close to the team that they were a year ago. Uh, they just a little bit uh, less uh, luck. And the end of some 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 games. Uh, they've lost some close games. I think you said they were what one and five and one and four in games decided by two possessions. So they're close. They're very very close. Uh, and you know sometimes like that can be like not having marble. That can be you know like the the consistent uh, shooting that that you know Dennis provides because that's that is one area where A and M has really really struggled this year is, is shooting the basketball. Um, all those three point misses. <laughs> well, yeah, Hefner. He and he is not afraid of, of putting it up, despite uh, despite his shooting struggles. He's he's still confident that it's gonna he's gonna make it. Um, yeah. So, like, if you're looking at a possibility of kind of getting in the win column, I'm I'm not gonna say it's impossible because uh, there's no such thing. A and M is a eighty three percent chance to win. Um, that is 17%. That's basically like, you know, like it's better than, you know, almost uh one out of five. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, just go down is... there, shoot 85% from three and win. Like I just, how about we do that? Yeah. I mean, the Aggies stink at shooting, but they stunk at shooting last year. <laughs> I mean, they weren't great in transition last year, despite forcing a lot of turnovers. They're worse in transition this year. You know, Jace Carter kind of looks like the same frame as Dexter Dennis, but he's in no way been an equal or adequate replacement. Hayden Hefner is a guy who gets minutes so he can bang in shots, and he's not banging in shots. So they got a black hole on the wing. You know, Wade Taylor can shoot you in or out of a game, depending on the night. You know, so, but the Aggies, again, are like, they just have a survivalist kind of approach to basketball. When Hefner or Jace Carter bricks a shot, four guys are going to go get on the glass and put it back. You know, they do not turn the ball over. So, you know, you can't bleed them out of possessions. And the thing about this team is, is, AM has a really, really great, you know, pick and roll threat in Wade Taylor. And it's got a really, really good screener roller big in Henry Coleman. So I'm terrified of what they're going to do with Henry Coleman tomorrow night because you can roll him, you can pop him. If you play him off, he can, you know, find little creases and get in and, you know, finish as a cutter. So teams have done that to Missouri. They've just come down and they've run a false action to get a switch and get Sean East low on the back line. Then they'll run a primary PNR to, to target up Nick who gets stuck going over the top. And then you have a roller that doesn't get tagged. And if that's Henry Coleman, it's going to be bad news. And if Henry doesn't finish Anderson Garcia boots, Radford's going to come flying in to try and get a put back. And if Missouri can't keep him off the glass, it's probably not going to matter. So like, and, you know, at a minimum, A&M can probably limit Missouri to one and done, and they'll just grind Missouri into paste. Like, that's that's the reasonable outcome here. You know, to me, I think what's going to matter here is, you know, can Missouri either one, make threes, which, you know, 40-plus percent would be welcome, or two, can they find a way? They are the best, you know, team in the SC at forcing turnovers, can they find a way to generate anything in transition? Can they f- generate some turnovers? Can they shoot 35% from three? And can they keep it within re- respectable, you know, margins on the glass? You know, that's, that's really the hope here. And then, you know, Missouri's got Tamar Bates, who's playing better than Wade Taylor, you know, right now. Can you get late and can you turn it over to Tamar and say, hey, Tamar carry us home? 
Like that, that's, I think where you're going to be tomorrow night. That does not sound like compelling viewing. We're going to tune in and watch it. But I think <laughs> that's, that's the reality here is, you know, AM's bad at offense. Missouri's bad at defense. Something's going to, you know, win out here. We'll see what it is, but there's a path. So A&M, A&M is bad at shooting. Their offense is efficient because they're the number one offensive rebounding, team, rebounding in the country. team in the country. And when you give even a bad shooting team enough opportunities, they yeah. are going to eventually put it in. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, it is like, it is one of these things where, I mean, I don't really think confidence is probably going to be very high, at least from the, you know, the, the fans, um, you know, if, if you want to feel somewhat positive about it, like Missouri has not been intimidated by road environments. Like they're not going they're not back, blown like, out. they're not getting blown off the floor. You know, I think that right. was the, again, we talk about people that want to compare this to what we saw a couple of years ago. Missouri has fought back, you know, when Kentucky threatened to put them out at the under 12 timeout, when Alabama threatened to put them down at the under 12 timeout. You know, they've rallied back from 18 against Georgia. They do fight. They do scrap. They do claw. They hang in. You know, they found a way for long stretches against, you know, Florida to keep that thing within five to six points. So they have shown a propensity to make this thing competitive and to, you know, be a sit and kick team going into the under eight timeout in the second half. The question here is, can they find enough competence and confidence in those last eight minutes to get over? But like like I said, this is a team that, you know, the median outcome right now is for them to be down six or seven with two and a half minutes to go. They just haven't been able to find enough execution over five and a half minutes in these games to get off the schneid. But they're competing, they're playing hard, they're finding a way to hang in games. And I think that's, you know, again, people are going to hate moral victories. They're going to hate what the record is. They're going to scoff and say this is, you know, we're making excuses for a bad team. But they're not packing it in. If they can get a little bit of competence in the last five minutes of some ball games, they can at least start to turn this and try, you know, keep the vibes confident enough and keep playing hard to the end, but they're not mailing it in. They're not packing it in. They're not giving it up, you know, within the first eight minutes and going home, they're playing and they're trying. It's just, you know, as we've talked about, you know, the depth, you know, the consistency of what they have just isn't what they thought they were going to have, but they've got to find a way to, you know, MacGyver it and, and try and get through, but you know, they're trying and they're, and they're really playing with effort and grit. And, you know, tenacity, it's just at some point it comes down to, you know, what do you have on the roster? And they just don't have enough right now. But we'll see if they can find a way to get over tomorrow night. Uh, and then Saturday, South Carolina, a team that you should have beaten the first time around. You know, realistically, yeah. uh, they did not trail in the second half. Um, should have been able to hold, hold them off. They didn't. Um, so can you go into colonial life arena, which, uh, you know, I'm sure the fans are excited about South Carolina, not being awful. Um, but that place is not always known as being the most intimidating environments. They are also the Gamecocks playing Kentucky, um, as their midweek game. Uh, and so like you do have to, you know, kind of wonder, is there going to be a little bit of a letdown is that, you know, like you're basically coming off of Kentucky, whether or not they win or lose that game. Uh, you know, the, the energy in the building is going to be a lot different uh, yeah. than it will be yeah. for, the, you know, the Wildcats. So yeah. I, you know, like that's a very interesting game for me, obviously like, you know, South Carolina is playing a lot better than I think a lot of people expect them to be. Um, you know, they, they are playing, I think, the way you know Lamont uh, Paris like wants to play. Um, it's a little bit of a herky jerky, um, you know, game when you play them, and you just have to be able to execute a little bit more. Uh, and I, you know, like I'd say it's a whole lot more likely, and and even the Kim Pal mods give them a one in four chance versus uh, like yeah. What, one in six 
It's um, exceptionally rare for teams to go 0 and 7. I mean, history says they'll pick up a win this week. Like in one of these games, history suggests that they'll pick up a win. Like that's, hope. I mean, you hope or else you're really starting to just get to an outlier level outcome where it's just absurd. But, you know, this is, you know, I think when I wrote at the beginning of the new year that, you know, late January is sort of when we were going to have an idea of what this team is. Well, that's here in seven days. It's, you know, the last 10 games for teams is, you know, that commonly sort of, you know, considered the home stretch. It's when, you know, you want to be playing your basketball. It's when you want to be able to put a good argument forward to a, a tournament committee. You know, this is really it. You know, the last month of the season is, you know, last five weeks come after this. So it's, we're, we're starting to get to a point where I think, you know, and I'm not going to rehash the conversation Watkins and I had last week. This really feels like the last stand of last stands for doing things the way you've done them, you know, for rotation decisions that have been made with an eye towards keeping you competitive towards, you know, still being able to tell vets we're playing for something. But if you, if you are zero and seven, you know, at the end of the week, it really becomes a discussion then about, what we're playing for now is not in March. It's for next November. It's for the seasons to come after that. So this really feels like kind of the last bid for this group of vets to really salvage, you know, what they, what they want to do this season, even if it's on an NCAA tournament, even if it's on NIT, but just, you know, to play competitive basketball, and not have a program, you know, begin to shift its outlook. This is when you have to make that case. So we'll see what they do. But, you know, I think we're reaching a point where, you know, you're going to have to really make some dramatic shifts if, if results don't break their way this week. There, there won't be any more sort of, I think, concessions that could be made. Uh, yeah. This is looking at 20. 15. Um, that team lost 13 in a row, but they started SEC play with a win before yeah. losing 13 in a row. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and then 2016 uh, started 0 and 1. One game number two. Thanks, Bruce Pearl, for trying to rebuild Auburn. Uh, and then lost the next uh, nine games. Yeah. Uh, 2017, they started 0-9. Um, These are the teams in the last five seasons that have started um, at least 0-6. You, you got the spreadsheet. Yeah, I do. The last five Always seasons. Been. So that, that goes back to uh, there have been, what, Zoe's yeah. second year, third year? I left out the – it's 2018, 19, 20, 22, and 23. I left out the COVID year because schedules were weird. And like some – like Texas ah. played eight SEC games. So I left out the COVID year. So in 18, 19, 20, 22, and 23, just three teams have started 0-6 in SEC play. Um, and only six have started 0-5. So Missouri's in that group. Realistically, um, you start to – you know, see a shift right about now. But the only 0-5 team, yeah, it was Vanderbilt that went 0-18, started 0-6. Uh, the Georgia team that went 1-17 started 0-6. And I think one other one in there. So it's exceptionally rare. To start 0-6, 0-7 uh, is even more rare. If you're 0-7, you're basically the 13th or 14th seed in the SEC yeah. tournament. So when I say that this is sort of the week to make a last stand, if you're one of the vets in this rotation, you know, coaches will always want to be competitive. Players will want to be competitive, but reality really does arrive this week potentially. So it, it'd be, if you're going to try and, you know, triage and stall for more time, <laughs> This is your week, guys. Otherwise, it's there's not really 
a good argument from a competitive standpoint to keep going and doing what you're doing. Uplifting, uplifting thoughts. Here. It is uplifting. Uh, Missouri still has a top five recruiting class coming in on a Batang. Uh, the leader of that class got his rating bumped by 247 Sports. He's now the 25th ranked player in the country. That is 247's ranking. That is not a uh, composite rating. Uh, he is a consensus uh, five star. Or I guess not consensus, composite five-star is how yeah. I should phrase that, correct? Uh, yeah. A composite five-star recruit, um, along with Mark Salen, uh, Trent Burns, Tio Barrett, um, Peyton Marshall, almost uh, forgot, big, big Pate. Um, all hitting campus next year. We're going to have a lot of fun looking at the transfer portal. Uh, look, this season has not been fun. You know, uh, it it looked like they were maybe kind of turning a corner and then they lost Caleb Krill. And sometimes, like, this is the kind of crap that happens. And um, I, for one, am completely okay having a crap season, but having a coach and a uh, and a staff behind him who are recruiting the way that Missouri is because I do think that, you know, Dennis Gates has proven when he has the talent uh, that he is going to field a very, very competitive basketball team. Um, and so I am excited regardless of, I mean, maybe I'm not excited to watch Texas A&M and Missouri play basketball. Uh, I'm never excited to watch Texas A&M play basketball. It is, it is a brutal, uh, brutal sport to watch. Um, <laughs> But I, you know, I'm excited, you know, to watch these freshmen continue to grow and mature. I'm excited, uh, you know, for Dennis uh, Gates to continue to grow and mature. I think, you know, he's still got a lot of growth and, and he's going to undergo that. Like, I just, I, I think Missouri has the right guy. I really do. It's just, this yeah, season has, has not been fun and uh, future seasons will likely be more fun. Yeah, uh, Honor Batang, you can now say he's a consensus top 30 prospect. You can say that. Hey! A composite five-star consensus top 30 prospect is what you could say. They, You know, Watkins has been deep in, you know... <laughs> <laughs> the, the verdict has been on hiatus, but it's coming back in a uh, in a whirlwind. Uh, he... he <laughs> Treatise is the best way to say it. Watkins has looked at this and, you know, more granular detail that even makes me sort of terrified. But, you know, we know how Missouri wants to play, as Watkins will greatly detail in the coming, you know, weeks. We know what Dennis Gates's, you know, you know model is. We know what they need going into the portal next spring. We know what kind of talent they have coming in. This is, you know, this is a disappointing near-term result. There's no other way around it. There's no couching it. But they're bringing in, you know, a clear talent upgrade, you know, for the future seasons. They know what they absolutely need in the portal. And they can, you know, begin to attack that now. And I would also and, say, like, you know, what a learning experience. <laughs> uh, like your first full, like real full off season, um, you know, like there, I think there are things that you, you definitely learn, um, you know, and I think they did learn as a staff on, on sort of like what, what you can and, and can't and uh, can't do as far as transfer portal is concerned. And uh, I think, you know, yeah. as, as things you know continue to sort of be transfer portal focused every spring, uh, I, I think you know like the experience that they had last year is going to teach them a lot on how to approach it this year. Yeah, and you know we talked about a couple weeks ago, or Arkansas must is considered the master of the portal. The two biggest fallers in terms of pre from preseason rankings are Missouri, but, uh, but Arkansas 
has had a worse drop. First in Ken Palm currently. They open the year, I think. They open the year at 15. 14. 14. They open the year at 14. 14 or 15. So they have dropped almost 90 spots. And Musk is supposedly infallible in the portal. That is his. That is his milieu. That is what he does. So it can go sideways on you, and it can go poorly. And you know, Missouri last year, you know, Isaiah Mosley, you know, was not readily available. But I think Kobe Brown missed a game. I don't think Demoy Hodge missed a game. You know, I don't think Dre Golston missed a game. Noah Carter, I think, missed one game. So out of your like four major cogs, I don't think Nick, I think Nick Honor missed a game. Like that's five missed games. That's insanely yeah. good injury luck with among three or four pros on your roster. And like, you know, and, and Trey, Trey was hurt, but um, you know, still but Trey, around, I think still. was always gonna be uh, you know, he was always gonna be more of a role guy. Yeah. Yeah. The big thing was was, you know. I, well, obviously, it would have helped to have Isaiah around, but you know, the big thing was Kobe and Demoy. You know, not are, are having those guys consistently in the lineup and producing on a nightly basis. If you put them on this roster, it's probably a team that, at minimum, right now is looking at the NIT. That's not a bold statement, but you know, it is what it is. And if they had had a healthy John Tanji and Caleb Grill for the full freight. Maybe they're fighting for an NIT bid right now. Well, I think like, if Caleb Grill and John Tanji are healthy, I think you, I mean, you probably beat Georgia. You probably beat South Carolina. Uh, pro- you definitely beat South Carolina. Uh, and you and probably you beat, beat Florida. Probably beat Jackson State, too, if you had Tanji fully available, too. So there's three or four wins that I think you can directly attribute to poor injury luck. You know, the Seton Hall game was poor. The Illinois game was poor. And, but outside of that, you know, three or four of these losses, I think you can directly attribute to them not having, you know, the personnel that they thought they would. Next year, you know, I don't think there will be the same leniency, at least from us, but, you know, they were handed a crap sandwich this year. So, uh, over the next couple of weeks, what I would say is just, at least from my seat, it's about evaluating what they do in spots five through 10. I am closely paying attention to what the, the, you know, incoming freshmen are doing at the high school level. They're all playing pretty well, which is good. And, you know, then you start, you know, coveting other programs, players openly. And you just say it, you know, (laughs) Matt Watkins is covetous of miles rice. I'm covetous of Adama ball. If Adama Ball would like to come here and take all he's learned from Herb Sendek at Santa Clara, I would welcome him gladly. If you know, if Billy Lang unfortunately has to file for unemployment after being dismissed from St. Joseph's, I would love if Eric Reynolds were offered a robust and healthy uh, NIL package in Columbia. I would be ecstatic with that development. I'll say it out loud. We have a list of fifty names. It's already so that that's what I'm doing is watching the back end of this rotation, watching the freshmen and then uh, DV other programs, players. What a time. Just what we all want to be doing. Well, I dropped uh, the the link into uh, our, our window here um, as our our last parting here. I think giving the, the sponsor a plug uh, five, seven, three tees.com slash collection slash rock dash m head there there's a couple t-shirts there you can buy a uh, portion of the proceeds go to support mizzou's nil efforts um and they need some nil love to get you know get somebody who can score that basketball on this basketball team next year uh but you and i are gonna uh take this as a a a call to wrap this up um we are back weekly uh we're going to keep running these weekly uh we're going to make it all the way through the basketball season and and all the way up until it's it's officially portal season uh and and then we're going to dive super hard into all the portal stuff it's going to be great uh it's going to be a fun off season got a lot of things in the works that i'm, I'm super excited for if you haven't already uh 
read the Rock'em Nation website today, uh, or I think actually yesterday is when it came out. Um, we have two new football writers. You're probably going to get introduced to Nathan Hurst here. Um, I think they're recording before the box score. Nate Edwards is coming back. So you're going to have a podcast with two Nates on it. Um, you know, just like last week or last week we had, you know, two mats on the pod. We have a strict, uh, naming policy here when it comes to hiring people. Um, so Nathan Hurst excited about him. Uh, also super excited, uh, Chad Moeller. Uh, for anybody who is familiar with Missouri football uh, over the years may recognize his name. He was the sports information director at Mizzou for uh, about 20 years. And uh, he's going to write for Rock of Nation. Like, what a coup that is to get this guy. I'm super <laughs> excited about it. Uh, we're going to get Chad on, on uh, maybe not this pod, but a pod and, uh, and get him talking about uh, the glory days under Pinkle, and and uh, and he's got some some fun plans for uh, uh, for podcasts down the line. I think fun things are happening at Rock and Nation, Matt. Uh, regardless of whether or not those threes for the Missouri Tigers are falling or not. Yep. Any parting words? Nope. All right. Uh, we're going to get out of here. Uh, we'll be back next week. Everybody, thank you for tuning in. Make sure you click like, subscribe, all that stuff on YouTube. If you're listening on uh, the podcast feed, uh, make sure you're subscribed there. And uh, we'll be back next week. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to Rock M Radio, a proud partner of Fans First Sports Network. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to see more, just like it beamed directly into your personal device. Just click the subscribe button below uh, and you can find this podcast through the Apple podcast app or for iPhone or the Google podcast app for Android or whatever app you use to listen to your podcast. Uh, we are also available on Spotify. Just search for Rock M Radio. Uh, and if you like other sports, Fans First Sports Network uh, is a podcast network that has uh, coverage of all other teams, Major League Baseball, uh, MLS, uh, NFL, whatever you want uh, to listen and, and read about. It is a great, great network full of really fantastic podcasts. So look them up and subscribe uh, to any and all of those podcasts. Uh, Rock M Radio will be back with more episodes coming soon. Thanks. Thanks.